Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined by my co-host, Light, the Light-Fingered Thief. Hey, Logar, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, and I want to talk about Dungeon Ecology. <laughs> so what is Dungeon Ecology? Okay, I got an answer, and I'm going to go to a place I don't often go to for that answer, and that's the 5th edition Dungeons Master's Guide. An inhabited dungeon has its own ecosystem. The creatures that live there need to eat, drink, breathe, and sleep, just as creatures in the wilderness do. Yep. Predators need to be able to seek prey. Intelligent creatures search for layers, offering the best combination of air, food, water, and security. For example, characters who find a pool of fresh water in a dungeon might make the logical assumption that many of the creatures inhabiting the dungeon come to that spot to drink. So it's a safe, safe spot to drink, safe spot to live. But is it a safe spot to drink for your adventures if that's where the inhabitants are drinking? It's safe in the sense that the water is safe to drink. It may not be safe to, to you know, put your stuff down and be off guard. That's definitely a positive of dungeon ecology from a dungeon master standpoint is perhaps the random monster checks at the good water and the good food down there are highly increased in your chances yeah. of running into a baddie. It's a higher probability if it's clean water or a clean food source or a resting spot. But of course, if it's a polluted water source, then yeah, no, no creatures can be drinking from that. So when we're designing our dungeons, this is the, the concept of dungeon ecology is, well, let's go back. And there was a lot of games back in the day. They say that we just kind of, would roll random monsters up in rooms and it would make no sense. Like the dragon in, the, in, in a 20 by 20 foot room. What's the dragon eating? What's the dragon, you know? So that's very true. A lot of the uh, old school dungeons, like you said, they're just a bunch of random things thrown together. A lot of people like that style of randomness and throwing together a dungeon. I personally do not. I agree with the dungeon ecology. It needs to have some rhyme or reason and logic, even though it is a fantasy game. Well, here's the positive about dungeon ecology is it gives you something to play with and work with as a dungeon master. You're able to give hints as to what is coming up as you're walking down the hallway. What do you find? How does it relate to what's coming up? So if we got, let's say we got a population of some sort of monster down there and we got to ask, they need food. They need water. Is the answer to what they're eating adventures? Because if that's the answer, that's probably not the best dungeon for you to go into and run your players through because perhaps they're all the other yeah, if there's that many adventures coming, either one of two things. One, all the loot and treasure is probably gone, or two, adventures tend to get eaten, which could yeah. be what you're looking for. Which is uh number two is the monsters are pretty tough and pretty hard to beat, probably then. So giving an ecology gives you gives you a chance to give some clues and hints as to what's coming up so that players can plan a little more i like that aspect i like to be able to give some hints as you're going through the the corridors yeah i like dungeon ecology just because it gives a little bit more purpose and objective to the setup of the dungeon versus just having random rooms with random traps and random treasures um i get it some people like doing pure exploration just for the sake of exploration but i find that a little bit illogical and tedious sometimes so. so that brings up a question like every trap should probably have a purpose and who set that trap 
Well, whatever's behind that. Yeah. And why? What's behind that trap? Is it for safety of the creatures? Is it to protect their food source? How do they get in and out without triggering the trap? Right. So for me, you know, I think having a purpose and objective to, like you said, why we have things in a dungeon makes total sense. So for me, I don't like random, you know, random dungeons just for the sake of throwing up a bunch of rooms to go look into. So if we're looking at how a creature lives down in this dungeon, there's a few things to consider. Number one, are we considering the Underdark, a place that is just a massive world underground? Is that still considered a dungeon? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, dungeon could be used very loosely, right? Is the castle a dungeon? Is the Underdark a dungeon? Uh, for me, I would differentiate a little bit. You know, I think the Underdark is like a... It's almost like a city environment, right? <laughs> it could be. It also could be dungeon delving. I'm a big fan of dungeon delving. I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of the game. So monsters need something to eat. And a lot of times we lean on fungus, mushrooms. So there's a lot you can do there because in D&D, mushroom can provide lighting. It can provide food. Or it could just provide a good old time with psilocybin or something akin to that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It could be for recreational use. It could be for food. It could be for other things. But fungus by itself isn't going to be sufficient, I don't think, to survive off of that deep in, the, in you know, underground. Well, ants raise, aren't those things called aphids? And they kind of milk them, use them almost like cows. So what kind of other strange D&D monsters could you invent or pull out of a monster manual that could be raised by whatever monster is the dominant monster in the ecosystem down there? That gives you a lot to play around with and work with. If you walk up onto a bowl... Sometimes they get pretty aggressive and come after you, but a lot of times the cows and things like that aren't going to chase and try to kill you. So you have an interesting situation you can put your players in where you can have a monster that could be both benign and threatening, depending on what's going on that's being raised for cattle, essentially. One thing you can do with the dungeon ecology that could be fun and how much of this food and water is available for the players to eat and consume? If we don't have food and water, we're going to have to leave or bring our own provisions and rations. But if you provide those things in the dungeon, and not only can the monsters consume them, but the player characters can consume them as well and use those resources as they're delving, that makes it possible to you know delve further, such as cases as... Um, mega dungeons and things like that instead of just sticking with a five room dungeon you have to clear out and go back for supplies and resources etc yeah so for example some of the things that we've looked at before so we had an episode on the uh, underground cave city uh i think last month or the month before where there was a fully formed you know city underground that water had areas to grow the crops so if you set it up that way, it's, you know, a lot more realistic and reasonable in terms of why would people be living underground? They're trying to get away from terrors from an above ground. So they're able to close off the doors and seal things off. They have food, they have water, they have, you know, fresh air coming in. So why are these monsters underground? That could definitely be something to consider. Are they afraid of humans? Is humans a threat to these creatures that are living underground? 
I would argue, yeah, humans are a threat. I mean, <laughs> look at look at what we've done to our own Earth. <laughs> I think this could be a very interesting discussion to really expand on when we talk about things like alignment. Um, and we talked about the colonialism and stuff like that earlier. We could really have fun getting into that in a future <laughs> episode. I think we're going to have to go there. So dungeon ecology. What sort of things do we do on a day-to-day basis that we kind of need to survive? In our capitalist society, we go to work, but not all societies are a capitalist society. They need the basics. They need protection, shelter, food, water. What other sorts of things do we normally need or want? Because it's not just, uh, I need bread, but roses too. A few comforts (laughs) they might be looking for. Sure. I mean, if you go back to survival basics, I mean, you're in the military, right? What were the survival basics, right? You need water, you need shelter for warmth or cool, whatever environment you're in, and you need food. Those are the basics to survive. And then after that, you can get into, like you said, more maybe leisurely type of activities and comfort activities. So yeah, you're right. And you know, you need a toilet, right? Because you guys always have to like dig what latrine pits and stuff as well too. So you have you need a place to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Where do monsters put their poo? Where do monsters put their poop? Hopefully not near the water source. <laughs> not not near the drinking source, I would hope. But again, if you think about it, what, what are the things that you need? Those are the basic things that you need. And waste, I mean, waste is used as like cow poop, cow dung, as fertilizer all the time. Right. Might not be unheard of for the poo to be be where the food is grown as well. <laughs> <laughs> Might be uh, reused in that sense. But for example, if you're investigating like a, I want to make a, a warmongering monster tribe of some sort, I'm sure they're going to have an area for training and fighting, shooting the arrows, maybe some basic blacksmithing for weapons, mining for ore. You know, it's not like all of a sudden people have random suits of armor and swords and spears and know how to use them, right? They need a place to train, they need a place to manufacture and blacksmith. So, and one fun thing about looking at dungeon ecology is you can really start to flesh out cultures of different monsters and why they do what they do and stuff like that. I know that there was a monster codex that came out for Pathfinder. And even if you're not going to run the Pathfinder role-playing game, that monster codex really got into depth and created a mythical society for all sorts of common monsters that might be worth looking at just to get some ideas of how those societies may be structured. Uh, Is this a matriarchal society, a patriarchal society, or something that's just purely egalitarian? there's a lot of questions there and things that you can flesh out when you're creating your dungeon and asking yourself, what does this look like down here? And if you're mixing up different factions, which I feel some good dungeons do, especially bigger dungeons. If you look at the halls of Ardenval, there are lots of different factions that exist inside of a mega dungeon that have different conflicts and ways that they interact. Going into dungeon ecology can really help you create an interesting adventure to play through yeah i think having factions is so important because you know even in in every society you're, you're gonna have factions in different points of view so for example in um the module what before the lost city there are three or four different factions underground in that pyramid and that was one of the first modules to introduce not monster factions but like npc type of factions and you could ally with certain ones or you could be any enemies against the others and they did the same thing in, uh, was it X2 Castle Amber as well, too? The family that ran or 
own the castle. There are factions even within the family. So you could ally with certain family members <laughs> and be enemies of other family members. One thing to think about is that most of our world that we live in from day to day, our cities, our towns, and, and our societies are built up around material needs and are trying to address those in the material reality that we live within. As that kind of uh, is molded by the social reality and the social uh, structures that we create and how we address those problems. So looking at how those material realities conflict throughout history, our material needs, is a large part of conflicts we've had even to this day globally, just our basic material needs. And that's going to exist in a microcosm in a dungeon. Yeah, for sure. Because like you said, with raw materials, there's always going to be supply and demand, probably usually more demand. And it could be food, could be clean water. So if you look at some of the uh, feudal societies that we had, you had all these peasants, farmers that were, you know, had to grow food. <laughs> and how do we distribute those? Who has dominion and power over those? Who has the right as their property? And does property even exist as a concept? Because a lot of times throughout history, like you look throughout a, like Latin America through like Mexico, they had like ajitos and stuff like that, which were just the lands were communal. Everyone could use them. That's yep. a big part of human history. Communal lands, even in feudal societies were a thing that existed. So approaching this and asking yourself how it is we distribute and uh, distribute what it is we need and what, how we have access to what lands and properties and foods and animals can help you flesh out the dungeon it can definitely lead to conflicts yep for sure you know i think we need to design an adventure where we have a bunch of uh roving nation states trying to you know find black gold <laughs> <laughs> well we're coming up on time it seems if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today please give us a positive review wherever you're listening and for all of you that have been giving us positive reviews i want to thank you so much it's been a great help you can find us on Facebook. Just search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. You can find me on Twitter at LogarHaleCrom. And keep those dice rolling. Roll them within your all the dungeons that you make. This is Logar, and I'm just going to do a quick plug here for our, our little podcast. We put a lot of time and effort into this and money out of our own pockets. So if you appreciate having a daily podcast about role-playing games with our specific bend, Please go over to Patreon backslash Wobblies and Wizards, that's W-O-B-B-L-I-E-S-A-N-D-W-I-Z-A-R-D-S, and give us a little support.